podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to the Anfield Index Mindfield Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alan O'Donoghue, and I am joined by our resident sports psychologist, Dr. Andrew Vincent. Andrew, it's so nice to be talking to you in these circumstances. I, and I agree. how wonderful it is. Brent's sessions cost extra, you know, the short notice <laughs> and the emergency nature. So I'm earning, I'm earning twice as much as I normally would. Yeah, Gagnetti got to get that big checkbook out now for this one. <laughs> <laughs> so we are recording this the day after Napoli 4, Liverpool 1, and realistically, if we're being honest, probably should have been Napoli 7, Liverpool 1, or could have been. But what we're going to do is hopefully use this as an opportunity where we can try and understand the psychology involved in sport, but also how elite athletes can be challenged. And as we always say, remember they're human beings and not just thinking about, yeah, well, they get loads of money, so it shouldn't matter. Okay, but there is definitely something going on, Andrew, isn't there? There is definitely something not right within the club right now. Yeah, yes. And, I, you know, I still... Consistent with what we talked about two weeks ago, it might not be huge, massive, glaring issues that are wrong or like, you know, but small things make big differences. And sometimes that's especially true when you talk about the mental side of the game. And so, um, yeah, we will get into that today and kind of look at maybe what some of the small things are, but also like shine some light on um, how small things can make such a big difference and you know, what are maybe some of the areas where the psychological side is limiting players, the group right now, but then also like what, maybe what to look for in the next couple of weeks, either, you know, in what Klopp says in press conferences or body language or, you know, things on the field in terms of mentally are things improving or like what I would expect or want to look for. Yeah, perfect. And let's dive straight into that. So yesterday Klopp did start to talk about how we need to reinvent ourselves and how we need to look at the the processes and get back to doing the simple things well. And, you know, I am in a number of WhatsApp groups, I'm sure you are too. And if we're looking at LFC Twitter, the meltdown is absolutely huge absolutely huge and you know the the owners are at fault the managers are at fault the players are at fault 
everyone's at fault and the season's over we're out of the Champions League and the league is done and dusted and that's just the way it is so be all and end all but from your perspective talk to us a little bit about what you take from what Klopp said yesterday and is there merit to the meltdowns that the fans are having I actually I think that's a great segue into um looking at patterns and things that typically do or things that people typically do when events aren't going the way they want them to especially in sport I think this is like the case but you know in life too like it certainly these carry over because I think you see it in the fans a lot now and maybe it's important to look out for like this is how I would not want the team to react inside the camp. Um, so, you know, one of the first things, like, something doesn't go the way you want, being angry and upset is totally normal. Um, totally fine. I have no issue with anyone being furious about yesterday. Like, for whatever reason, it wasn't really my reaction, but, like, I have no issue with anyone being furious about yesterday. I think what you have to be very careful of is... Anger often wants an outlet. And so we get angry and we want someone to point out. So anger is a feeling in some ways is about um, respect and status and making something right. It's like, this didn't go the way I want and now you better fix it, damn it. Like, And usually that means we need to have someone to point to to say, you need to fix this now. As compared to something like guilt or shame or anxiety or like where it's like, oh, I need this didn't go how I wanted and I need to fix it. Anger is typically outwardly pointed. And so as fans, we're looking at Liverpool, we're looking at Klopp, we're looking at the owners, and those are the fingers we're pointing, like, you guys better fix this, damn it. And I hope they do. Um, but I think what can quickly happen, especially as a group, fans have no say or input or control, which can like kind of throw that anger into a little bit of a frenzy. Um, we're pointing fingers everywhere, we're coming up with theories, we're coming up with this is how it should be, and here's who's at fault. And I think, you know, by all means, fans are entitled to do that. Um, but my hope in the camp would be, or like within the team, you know, as an athlete, what I encourage people to do, give yourself space to be angry, but like, don't let that anger make any decisions for you. Very much like Klopp did last night in his press conferences. Um, I'm sure he was frustrated and upset, but he didn't dig into any of the players. Like we've seen managers do that. Like those things can be tough to take back and tough to go back on. So he said a hundred times, I want to watch it again. I want to understand it differently. Let that initial emotional layer wear off before you start looking and analyzing and trying to make sense of like, what do we need to do next? Um, so that, that would be one thing. Um, you know, one of the, the other things I think a lot from fans is um, when something doesn't go how you want and you're looking for people to blame, it becomes really easy to sort of feel like I care about this a lot. So if they're not doing what I want them to do, it must be because they don't care about this as much as I do. They're not as invested. So we look at the team or we look at Klopp and we see, maybe not Klopp, I haven't seen him accused of it, but we accuse people of not putting in enough effort first. And like, I think that's often misguided in terms of evaluating a group. And like we talked about this last time is like, there's a lot of things that can be mistaken for bad effort. And I think about like Trent and Gomez, maybe especially is like, I could understand why someone would watch that and say, Hey, they don't care or they're not trying or they've given up on this. And like, I think that's just not the case. 
You know, mm-hmm. that I, I can't possibly imagine that that's the case for either of those two players. Um, but there's other things that can be going on that, that make it look like people aren't trying. And so, like, I think that's, that's something you see teams do and you see groups do and you see coaches do, right? They get really angry at how a team performed and they walk off the field and they say the effort wasn't there. These guys don't care about this enough. We need to get people who care about this enough. And I was happy that's not what we saw from Klopp. He actually said, I know that these guys want to play well. And so it's my job to figure out why they aren't playing well. And so I would encourage people to hesitate on, um, you know, being angry at people's effort or saying that like their lack of effort, the lack of intensity is because they don't care. There's probably other explanations for it. Um, within a camp, the best way to alienate someone is to, t- to tell them that like they're not working hard enough. Um, and they're not doing enough. And there's, there's ways to motivate people and get extra effort without like alienating them. Sometimes you can get a little boost from that. You know, Hey, you haven't been working hard enough this past week. I need more from you. But like, as soon as you start saying, Hey, you don't care, you don't care. People can only hear that in so much before they start to like react to it. And then you get fractions in a camp or different people who are like, well, fuck that guy. He told me this and like, whatever. So those are a couple things just to start with yeah. talking for quite a bit now. So <laughs> what do you think? But that, but that's okay because I think you're making some very valid points. And for me, one of the things in any of the work that I do is about getting people to recognize that anger is, an, is usually a mask for another emotion. And mm. We've probably discussed this in the past. So, you know, in, in one of the groups that I'm in, there's one guy and, and he was, he was so angry. He was like, just, it's a fucking disgrace. This is absolutely appalling. And then he said, my young lad is here in tears. And to me, if I was working with this person, I'd be going, okay, now we've discovered what the emotion is behind the anger. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's horrible to see your kid crying. Right. And probably because of something that you've introduced into their life. Right. <laughs> Okay, so maybe let's take a step back from posting for hours in a group about how annoyed you are and sit down and look at what, what do I need to do for my son to help mm-hmm. him realize that there's stuff that, okay, it's okay to be upset and disappointed at the result, but it's okay and everything is going to be okay instead of fueling it with the negativity. So mm-hmm. I'd always say to people is if we are angry, acknowledge the emotion, absolutely. But look at what is behind it, because then we can be more honest with ourselves and we take it back into something that we can do something about rather than focusing completely on something that is completely outside of our control. And Mm -hmm. unfortunately, that's where things have spilled over with social media now, where I can now get on to Mo Salah and say, you've put your fucking feet up since you signed your new contract and you are just being a lazy piece of shit. And I can directly send that to him and he's going to see it and... That's what I need to do instead mm-hmm. of going, it's no fun watching Liverpool play at the moment. It's no fun watching them be, concede goals. We've been used to something so much better than what we're seeing right now. And I don't like it. And that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And that's I okay. That's such an important point. I think, you know, going off of that a little bit, um, thinking about wants 
is also usually a really important part of emotions and how I encourage people to think about their emotions is like, what's the want that goes along with the feeling? And in this case, just like you said, I want Liverpool to play better. And I think maybe that's so obvious as a statement, but like sometimes when you're super mad and you're just like, well, what I want is for Liverpool to play better. It also helps you realize there's nothing I can do about that. And like, yeah, exactly. Like you said, um, when we get really mad and especially in situations where we don't have a lot of control, like that anger looks for some sort of outlet. And so we look for how can I make a difference? And that gets really desperate when you're, you have no way to do it. And so maybe we get increasingly angry, right? Cause, cause here's actually, I, I end up working with athletes around this all the time is, um, especially male athletes who I work with. Something I find is that they feel it very necessary to punish themselves outwardly for mistakes. And so, like, they need to show that they're mad. They need to show they're unhappy with themselves. They need to stew in it so people can see how much they care about it. That is wildly unproductive when you're trying to compete and play at your best. And I understand the impulse. That is absolutely what I was like as a youth athlete. Um, and it's, it's a lot to do with why, though I didn't realize that at the time. I just wanted people to know that I cared about what was going on. And so... Um, you know, I think that becomes part of it too, is like, not only are we unhappy that Liverpool isn't playing better, maybe irrationally so, because like, it matters a lot to us. And like, I wasn't mad about Napoli, but I've definitely been mad about games. And like, I've been mad about games recently. Like I said, two weeks ago, I watched Man United with my best friend, who's a United fan. <laughs> I was an unhappy person. Um, yeah, performing anger in a demonstrative way so people know that you care. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, like, I think that's a, a thing to get into, too, is, like, and I, I would encourage teams to avoid that. And so, like, when you're showing up at training, like, certainly you don't want everyone to be pumped up and totally happy. But, like, if everyone's walking around grumbling, being really aggressive, whatever, like, that's usually not super productive. Higher intensity is productive. You know, getting after each other a little bit can be productive. Finger pointing is not super productive. Um, yeah, so those are some of the things I would say. And then maybe segueing a little bit because this is one that Klopp mentioned himself and that a lot of people are behind now is like reinvention. Reinvention is one of my worst nightmares as a sport psychologist. <laughs> and I will explain why. Um, we've talked a million times about flow. We've talked a million times about automaticity. Automaticity comes when you're practicing over and over again certain patterns that usually come from a certain idea. Reinvention is a brand new idea. Implementing a brand new idea at an automatic level requires training. And so reinvention often requires like a total overhaul of training and time to get that right in a way that makes reinventing yourself unlikely to be a good long-term strategy. Building on yourself, like getting back in touch with your roots, like evolving a little bit, like but keeping the core of what you're doing, good thing. Reinvention is like, when I have an athlete who's like working on, like trying to reinvent themselves a few times, um, I almost always see that as like a red flag. Like you have no idea who you are. You have no idea what you're good at. Like. This isn't, a, this isn't a good idea. Like, this is actually a sign that you're not committed enough to your strengths rather than it being a sign of, hey, this is a brand new direction that, but I mean, reinvention feels really nice. 
So we talk about that anger, that disappointment, that emotional valence of this, right? And one way to feel like you're doing a lot is to change everything and say, I have a brand new plan. And like the reason nothing was working before was because my old plan was bad, but my new plan is really good. And so now I don't have to struggle in the same way. I just have to implement this new plan and this great way. And that's going to solve everything. And that's like a really nice headspace to be in. Like it feels really good. And actually sometimes in the short term, people benefit from that. And they'll go and they'll have a couple really good games with their like brand new idea and their brand new identity. And then they'll hit adversity again. And they'll want to reinvent the wheel again because that's what helped them last time. And so you get into this pattern of constant reinvention, which is the total opposite of solid identity that becomes your focal point, that becomes your confidence, that becomes your resilience. And so reinvention is kind of the word of the day with Klopp or the word of yesterday with Klopp, I think he means it differently from how people have taken it. Yeah. The media certainly love the idea of Liverpool to reinvent themselves. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting, like, with coaching, one of the core elements that, that I work with is how once we start the process of change as individuals or as companies, if I'm working with a company, is that there is always an upswing, or usually always an upswing where things improve. And people hate when I point this out to them, but there is always a plateau point, always a plateau, where things just feel like, eh, yeah, that's fine. And then sometimes there can be a dip where things get worse. And at that point, that's where people can start to go, oh, shit, I've gone right back to the start and I have to change things all over mm -hmm. again. But it's not. You haven't gone right back to the start. You've just hit a bit of a dip. And I think this is really important for where Liverpool are at. So when Klopp came in, we saw the upswing and we saw quite an upswing to the point where we were winning and being successful. And then over the last season or so, we hit a bit of a plateau with a few little, you know, like, look, we all enjoyed winning the two trophies last year, but we would have happily given both of those up for one of the big two, right? And we've hit a bit of a dip and we've hit a bit of a dip with largely the same squad. So people are saying, and maybe this is where the reinvention piece comes in, is that, oh shit, we need a complete overhaul of all these people who've been there and been the mainstay, and that's the problem because we haven't overhauled, and what are we going to do now because they're all complacent, they've all hit this dip, and we as fans have hit this dip, and Something drastic has to say, change mm -hmm. where you start to see clop out, you know, hashtags on all over the place. And what we've actually hit is just the dip. Now, I'm not saying that this, this dip will be finished this weekend. Maybe it won't. Maybe the season is a dip. Who knows? But it's just a dip. We still have the foundation that we've built. It just might need a bit of tweaking now to be able to get back up on the upswing again. Mm -hmm. I think I think that is such a good point, and like you know, being able to mention that ahead of time, like when you mention it to the people you're working with, preparing for that dip means that like you don't misidentify that dip or that plateau as failure. You know, and I like when I talk about reinvention, like it's that impulse. You know, because if you decide to reinvent, you start back at square one. And now you have to work yourself all the way back up if you've chosen the right processes 
to work yourself back up. And so that's exactly like what to avoid with this idea of reinvention. And so being able to recognize there's a dip here and there's things we need to take seriously, it's true, but it's also, you know, here I'm about to like uh, start again with my strengths based and focus on the foundations first. And that, that is like focus on what's going well, focus on what you have in the group. Maybe there's not a lot that's going well within the team. That's fine, but you still have to start with the strengths of the group. And what are these and what does this look like? And what is the one or two things that we're going to focus on or the one or two things that we're going to change? But like the core should remain the same. And I think when Klopp talks about reinventing, he's talking about that anyways, because what was his second part of his message? We need to go back to basics counter-pressing, which is the fundamental part of how I want my teams to play, was terrible. And we had no counter-presses for the first part. And we have a high line for a reason because it allows us to counter-press, but you need to keep the pressure on the ball if you're going to have the high line. And so we had no pressure on the ball, which made the high line a liability, and we looked bad. And, you know, that was what I took from that. And so what he's, I think, saying is, like, we have to reinvent our counter-pressing, not we need new schemes, not we need new formation, not we need, although maybe some of those things will roll out differently. Maybe it, it is a change in formation that allows better spacing or something for quicker pressure on the ball. I, I don't know. Not my area of expertise. But, like, um, you know, what I like about that is it's a return to fundamentals, what they train all the time is about putting pressure quickly. It's about not just intensity, despite that being the name of Pep's book. It's about like the direction of the intensity. Like, what is that called? There's a word for it. That's like force has like a locust or something. That's not important, but like, um, yeah, the targeting that intensity in the right areas in the right ways. And actually Milner's interview after the game yesterday talked about this really well. Like he basically said, they said, is there a lack of intensity or a lack of like effort? And he said, no, I don't think it's like a lack of willingness, but if you're not close enough in the first place, it doesn't matter how intense you are. And so for whatever reason, they're feeling like they don't have, they're not in the right positions to target their intensity in the right directions. And so maybe that's what needs to be addressed and, and changed. And that's the reinvention is, uh, like, let's figure this part out. It is interesting that James Milner is the one that's saying that they're not close enough when, <laughs> let's be <Well>. honest, <laughs> when was the last time he was close enough to anything to do, right? <laughs> Sorry, James. <laughs> he got a hand on it. That's <laughs> he knows it. He got a hand it's on just the first one, you know. <laughs> okay. He was at least within a few feet. <laughs> yeah. And I think that this is really, really good in terms of starting to look at things from the player's perspective. Like, we have to remember, these players aren't putting their feet up. They're not just taking it easy. They're not just sitting back and thinking, there's nobody here that is, you know, going to take my place because my name is Virgil van Dijk or my name is Mo Salah. It's, that's not how these people operate. And also, I did see a good one today, Andrew. There was some guy, a friend of somebody who works at the ground, and apparently there's a split in the camp over Pep's book. And that's why things are not working well. I love, this is the benefit 
of living in a world of tabloid journalism that people will actually read that and go, yep. <laughs> so that's, we, you know, we get on board with this idea. Yeah, that's exactly what's going on, that there's a rift in the camp. And some of the lads are now deciding that because of Pep's book, they're not... Uh, happy with the way things are running and they're not happy so they're not going to work while they're on the pitch and they're going to you know on purpose handle the ball in the box or on purpose right. step on somebody's toes to give away a penalty and on purpose let somebody run past them and cross the ball and score a goal this is all happening on purpose just in case you didn't know that andrew right well i haven't read the book but maybe i should because there must be something more inflammatory in there than I could have had. I just, <laughs> I, imagine, I don't know how long the book is, but like I just listening to Pep talk, I, like I just imagine it's like 200 pages of like practically incomprehensible enthusiasm. Absolutely. And I can't imagine any of the players have read it. <laughs> <laughs> you can see, they just went. Of them all getting it and they're like, cool. Thanks, Pep. Yeah. They all um, just go to the, the, the index at the back to see where their name is and right. see where they get mentioned, and that's it. That must be what uh, you know. you got some people in there who are just like, I only have my names only here three times. <laughs> <laughs> so going back to, you know, if you were working with the players, and it sounds like what you're saying is, if you, you know, if you were Klopp, you'd be saying, look, let's just get back to the things that we can do well. And you as a sports psychologist, if you were working with each of the individual players, would you be sitting down with them and saying, let's focus on your strengths. What can you do well? And let's pick one or two things mm -hmm. in the next match against Wolves that you do well, that you know you can do well, that you don't have to think about, and just focus on doing those as well as you can in this match. So if I were working with the team at this point, I think the interventions that I'd be looking at aren't individual level necessarily, although like if there were certain players who wanted to work on things, that would be probably helpful for them. Um, I would really be looking at the team level right now and the coach level. So I'm going to play a little bit. What if you were working with Jurgen Klopp? Um, what would you do? So at a team level, like the kind of thing that I would want to do here is um, you want to see how different people in the group identify the issue and you want to make sure everyone's on the same page and putting together a plan about moving forward. I, you know, it's not like a captain's meeting, clear the air, let's point fingers at everybody. Um, one of the things that I like to do is to separate what are the things that have happened from the bad things that are like happening. What are the, the trends and like the, the long-term things from the situations? We ignore the situations, we ignore the specifics, and we focus on what are the trends that are going badly. And so probably what I would do is like, um, when I'm doing group activities or something like this, usually what I would, I'd probably take the team and I'd separate them into a certain number of groups. Um, I would put groups together that focus certain opinions. So like, I'm gonna put, Henderson and Milner in the same group with someone else who's maybe similar to them in the way they're thinking. I'm going to put Harvey Elliott and Carvalho in one group, not just because they're buddies or whatever, but because they're young. And so maybe I'll put other younger, newer people there too. Maybe I'll put Diaz and Nunez there as well. Um, you know, I might take Tiago, Fabinho. I, this, 
like put them in a group as well. But like the, the groups are going to be set up to try to put together people who might share similar perspectives. Tiago and Fabinho are both in the midfield. Like they're both good. I don't know if that gives them a similar perspective or not, whatever. So whether that's about positions, whether that's about experience, whether that's about ways they are as people, but you want to create contrast between groups because that's going to create the most unique perspectives. And you want those perspectives to get out there. If you separate Milner and Henderson to whatever extent they share views on the game, they're going to dominate their respective groups. And then those groups have basically the same thing. So we're going to put people who are like-minded together so that we have diversity of thought. Um, Have those groups discuss what they think the problems are, probably like using that what's been good, what's been better, or what needs to be better, and how can we, what, what's the one focus you need to improve? Like, I'd keep it really specific, because that format eliminates finger-pointing. You know, unless you say, what needs to be better? Well, James Miller needs to be better. Um, you know, so you put those groups there, you have each group sort of share out, like, you have each group reflect on each other, and, like, you kind of formulate that into, like, one thing, like, what do we think as a group get the coaches involved in that too. Like I'd probably have them be their own group. That group goes last or only reflects at the end because sometimes coach voices can be so dominant that um, introducing them in the mix means that everything that's said after the coaches talk is just mirroring what the coaches said. And so you want to kind of put them at the end Um, or just have them reflect at the end and see what they think. This, of course, always depends on the coaches. If the coaches already have a plan and they already have a a narrative that they want to push, they have the power to do that. And then you don't necessarily want to introduce contrasting narratives um, that the group has to work through. So I like bottom-up sort of stuff. When I say bottom-up, I mean, like, from the group to, like, the bigger picture, like, from each individual to the group rather than from the coaches down, which is, like, uh, more of a hierarchical thing. Because I think it it allows space for more voices and perspectives, which should all be worked through, whether or not they're true or whether or not they really like have a lot of merit. Having those out there gives us a chance to sort of address them and understand them and get everyone on the same page in a way that's not always possible if those just hang out and aren't addressed and a new narrative gets pushed. So that's what I would do at a team level. And we would see ultimately what's the one or two things we're going to take. What are the things we're going to leave behind? And how do we regain control of the narrative, regain control of the identity, get everyone on the same page, and have an action plan that allows us to put all of the energy and emotion and intensity towards something that's going to be useful. Um, working with Klopp. So one of the things that... Well, actually, before I just jump into working with Klopp, Al, any thoughts? Like, Because you were organizations sometimes like are they things that like you would typically do with groups to kind of like similarly get on the same page or like group level sorts of things yeah absolutely like uh, listening to you i was kind of that's exactly how i would work also because you know once you well you you have to have the opportunity for people to feel comfortable enough to say what they really feel Mm -hmm. within reason um and you will always get people who will try and second guess what they think that management will will say or what management will, will be looking for. Um, but ultimately, the the bigger process can be beneficial if it's handled well and handled correctly. And that that comes down to the 
the person who is acting as the the mediator, I suppose, so to speak. So, and how much trust the people have in that person, mm-hmm. that's going to come down to to that, and then how much of a culture there is within the organisation to have freedom of speech, to feel comfortable about saying what it is you want to say, to have your voice heard, and not worry about any potential repercussions. Now, a lot of companies and organisations don't necessarily have that. Sports is probably a little bit different where, well, I certainly from the outside looking in would think that Klopp does have a relatively um, positive culture among the, the players where, while yes, he has the ultimate say, but he is willing to give them the floor space to be open and honest and and say what they believe is going on or what they feel they can do. But ultimately, if I was working with them, I'd be getting them to, one, look at what we believe collectively and then take away and look at, well, how can I contribute mm. to that using my skill set to the overall that we're all buying into. Then you bring in the 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 management. And I wouldn't that that can be a tricky one. And maybe you this is where your experience comes in. Um this can be a tricky one because if we have a very definite a management with very definite ideas of what people should be doing the management can sometimes point the fingers and say, well, you're not doing what you're meant to be doing. And that may well be the case in, with Liverpool, that the players are going out into the pitch and not doing what they're doing. But again, Klopp doesn't strike me as the type of person who's unwilling to reflect on himself and how he's doing what he's doing and his coaching staff, where if somebody says, well, actually, boss, um, you know, our, our training has been too intense or, or you know, that book that your coach brought out actually pissed me off, you know, and that's why I, I don't feel I'm performing as well because I'm annoyed at him. Like, I could imagine that there would be the the open forum where, where that could be done and that could be structured and Klopp could hear it, I could imagine. But that's all well and good, but when we are under pressure and under stress, we can all revert to that child ego state inside us that responds like a child. So Klopp could absolutely spit the duty out because yeah. he's under a lot of stress and a lot of scrutiny and a lot of pressure. But this yeah. is where you step in with your skill set to help him work through it. And what would you do with him to help him work through that? Well, <laughs> I so one thing I wanted to mention, because you talked about like from the outside in like what are like the dynamics in teams in terms of like free free speech and who can say what and openness and i think it just depends so much on the culture um and usually what it's what it is is there's pockets and there's people have chances to have their own opinions but it's, it's probably not that different from a lot of workplaces is it's like you know you might have one assistant coach who's really empathic and understanding and a lot of players go to that assistant coach and share a lot of their reactions to things and feelings about things but also like if the head coach is kind of a dead end the assistant coach may never really share those it's just like the assistant coach is an outlet and the head coach is the head coach and has their own things i don't know where Klopp would fall because 
on the one hand, it feels like he's in favor of some shared leadership and some input, but he's also wildly stubborn and clearly has his own ideas. Um, and so, like, if I was working with Klopp, what I would be looking at is, like, helping him understand maybe where his own limitations are getting in the way. And this is a really good time to notice potentially limiting patterns or impulses because um, often under pressure is when we turn to our go-to solutions, our favorite solutions. And sometimes those solutions are the problem. So sometimes, like, I'll use the analogy of, like, um, you know, usually by the time someone comes to working with me, it's because, like, they feel like they're sort of tied up in a knot, right? Or they've tried something over and over. They've tried a bunch of things. And so it's like if you came to me and you had a rope that had a knot in it, right? And, mm -hmm. like, your solution has been to pull really hard on both ends. Well, sometimes the way knots are, that's a thing. You can pull really hard on both ends and the knot comes undone. But if it's a different kind of knot and you keep pulling really hard on both ends, you're just going to make it tighter and tighter and tighter. And so working with a coach like yourself or someone like me, like it's an opportunity to sort of say, let's stop pulling on both ends. Let's work to untangle the knot, figure out, you know, what what pattern is the equivalent of pulling on both ends and making this tighter? What are we doing right now that's making this worse instead of better? And so that's one of the things that I might want to address is like, you know, he's Klopp has had moments before where he's been stuck and he hasn't always been very adept at making it better quickly. Um, one of the things he does is he turns to experience first, which like everyone who's listening to this right now is going to be like, no, that's a nightmare. But like, we know, like, that's what he does is very frequently. He's like, who are the most experienced players? And let me turn to the experienced players to get us out of this mess. And I think that's sort of the opposite of where we need to go. Or like, let's stay the course, like really religiously not change anything. And so I think somewhere between constant reinvention and not changing anything, just doubling down on what we're doing is probably the correct answer here. And so, you know, part of it is like helping him understand or see, you know, let's say that these patterns are actually a problem. And I, I think like, you know, to some extent, maybe you have to play James Miller just because of the personnel available to you doesn't allow you to do much else at this particular moment. Um, you know, Robertson and Trent, there's not a lot of space to drop either of them. Although Robertson, you couldn't put Simicus on. Um, you know, some of your decisions are set, but like, what are the places where you can have flexibility? What are the places where your typical approach has been creating the problem rather than fixing the problem? And how can we change that or get a new perspective in? And hopefully that's, maybe that's a meeting I have with Klopp before this bigger team meeting is to sort of have him reflect on what are the challenges he faces or what are the places where he typically turns to a certain thing, be able to identify like, okay, like that's your instinct and that's your impulse, but may not always be the solution. And then we go to this team meeting where there's other solutions introduced and things he can maybe consider those in a different way. Not to say he wouldn't anyways, but like just hypothetically in this world where I actually know what's going on and how all of these people are, um, that might be a good way to do it. Like there's a way to open up management or the coaching side to new ideas before you create a platform for introducing a lot of new ideas. Mm. Uh, yeah. I and I, I might do something similar with the leadership group, to be honest, because they probably address things the same way over and over again too. And like, you know, that might be part of the dip is like patterns that work really well for you when they become overemphasized 
can start to lose some of their effectiveness. It's important to have versatility. Yeah, and I think actually the more I'm listening to you, the more I'm wondering, like, is there merit in sitting down with individuals then and, and asking them, as long as they would trust you and mm -hmm. trust your process to say, look, you can be completely frank here. What do you think is preventing you from fulfilling you know, your ability and, and doing the job that's expected of you? Where they can say, well, you know, Mo Salas staying too wide, so, you know, he's not an option for me or whatever it might be. And then funnel that back to, with them, first of all, I'm going, okay, well, what can you do about that? Well, you know, I can go and I can talk to Mo, or maybe I can't talk to Mo, or I can go and talk to the coach because he's the one who said it. And, and then bring that all, all those individual points back to the coach and say, look, this is what I'm hearing and work it that way. Or is that just too, so dynamic, or sorry, too immense a, a project and wasting what could be, you know, let's take the, the shortest route to be able to try and fix things quicker. My, my two thoughts are, um, going from individual to group always has complicated trust related dynamics. Like there's a, there's an issue of like in psychology, what would be informed consent around confidentiality and understanding how information is going to be used. And so players would need to know ahead of time, all of this information is getting back to coach in some sort of way. Um, and so I think sometimes my preference would be to do that in a group just because then, you know, everyone who's there is hearing it and, like, you can make your choices about what you say accordingly, although there's always the risk that you won't say something. But I also don't want a player to say something to me under the understanding that there's a, a degree of confidentiality there that won't actually exist in the bigger context of this assignment. Um, that being said, Al, like one of the things I do with one of the teams I work with is um, there's a, a reflection scale that we use biweekly. And so they have five processes. Um, Every two weeks, I'll send out uh, like a survey, basically, like an online survey kind of thing. Um, it gives each player gives their one through 10. How did we do it with this process? And then what went well and what needs to go better? Um, those come back to me anonymously. I summarize that information and hand it off to the coach. So every two weeks, the coach has his opinions on what's going on, but also is always getting information from the, the group about you know, how well do we think we're doing and how are we thinking about things and like, um, you know, what do we need to be changing and improving? Um, typically like that, that goes well. I haven't had any situations yet where that becomes like finger pointing, like, oh, Mo Salah isn't doing this. Like I've never had a group of surveys come back that's just like this person's an asshole and that's getting in our way. Um, you know, part of that might be the culture of ice hockey, which is like, you know, it's an ice hockey team I do this with where things stay in house in the locker room pretty tightly. I think that's probably true in a lot of sports though. So like, I think most teams with someone who's like, you know, I'm with this group is more of a consultant than like a constant coach. So it's like, I'm not around constantly. I'm kind of half in and out of the bubble. They'd be reluctant to throw someone specifically under the bus with me. I think, um, the specific, go ahead. No, I was going to say, you, you, you make, you know, really valid point. And I think it's something really important for all of us to remember as, as fans is that, um, that 
these players, like I know people will say players are stupid, but in terms of when it comes to football intelligence, you know, they're, they're not stupid. The, they, they will understand that, you know, X person or Y person is not a dickhead unless they are a dickhead. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if yeah. you're in a, if you're in a, in a dressing room with Balotelli, you know, or whatever, that, that might be challenging in, in its own right. But, you know, they, they will know what to do to actually counteract the negative influence of somebody like mm-hmm. that. And I don't get that impression that there is many players like that in the Liverpool squad where they could be divisive. And maybe Pep Linders is the divisive one. I don't know. But, uh, like, I, I do think it's important for us to remember that as, as fans, as we analyse this. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think with something like that survey is, like, one of the part of how it came about, it was actually part of my dissertation project, but part of how it came about too is like um, a lot of youth sport coaches were saying, I have this huge problem where my athletes aren't taking initiative enough, basically, or they, you know, they're not active enough in problem solving on the field or talking to each other. But I think like the way sport and youth sport, especially, which, you know, then turns into senior sport is um, it's so prescribed no one's ever asked anything. So they're like, well, my players aren't problem solving on the field. So how many problems do you ask them to solve and then give them the space to solve on their own? And I think it, it undermines like how important the process of reflection is in learning. And so like, if you're just constantly feeding someone information, they might never be reflecting on that information or reflecting on the implementation of that information or reflecting on their own process. And the learning that takes place there is significantly less than if you're reflecting on a regular basis and having to make up your own mind and make your own statement about what's going well and what needs to do better. And so, you know, really, like you say, Al, is like, you know, whether or not they're academically brilliant people, like, it's totally besides the point. Plenty of them are. But, like, part of the reason I think we think a lot of footballers are stupid is because we constantly tell them what to do rather than asking them what they would do. And so then you shove a microphone in their face or give them a chance to talk and they're not used to it. They're not practiced at it. And like athletes certainly aren't stupid. And like the responses I get from the team, like frequently I'm blown away by things that they've thought of that I hadn't thought of or the things that they noticed that I hadn't noticed. They're there, they're in the room, their perspective matters. The more you ask them and encourage them to reflect, the more you can make use of the intelligence and perspective that they have. And so, um, you know, that's an important part of the processes I like to implement with teams, but, um, yeah, like in a, a totally different way with this group, I think there's so much space for that, but I do wonder to what extent the leadership group and Klopp being a strong personality might limit some of the rest of the team being able to reflect and share in that way. But maybe this becomes a moment where that's more possible. That being said, you know, on those surveys, I might get an answer. So one of the things I always have groups evaluate is their relationships. That's always on it. Like, you're going to give me a one through 10 score on how good the relationships are and like, tell me a little bit about why. So, you know, there's been seasons where it's like, oh, like the, the seniors this year or whatever, or like the, the group this year that's in, in leadership is like kind of suffocating to the younger people. And so they'll, they'll talk about dynamics like that without giving names or certain personalities are difficult to work with. They'll get information like that. Um, but I don't get like so and so's a dickhead. Yeah, I talk with someone individually, and then they might be like so and so's a dickhead. But that's you know, then those individual sessions are totally confidential. Whereas they know 
the information that they're giving, even though the surveys aren't identified, um, you know, they know that's going back to the coaches. So they talk to me differently in those. Brilliant. And it's a perfect place for us to wrap it up today, Andrew. That such and such is a dickhead. <laughs> so hopefully, <laughs> hopefully the listeners have got a lot of uh, benefit out of this one. Thank you so much for your expertise, Andrew, as always. And if you're not a subscriber, please jump on. It is well worth it with all of the subscriptions that we give. And on Andrew, until next time, thanks so much and, and take care of yourself. You too, man. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.